Imagine That Studios, in association with Ace Books, presents Tales from the Archives, Volume 3 The official anthology of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences Eliza, where is... Have you seen... Our plucky, somewhat comical intern, Catherine? Well, I wouldn't describe her in such a fashion, but... Yes, I was wondering... You can brew your own damn tea. No, 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 that's not why I'm looking for her. Not this time. I've come across another lost case from her region and hoped she would be of assistance. Ottawa, Canada. Well, just leave it in her box and she will tend to it straight away. Which one is hers? The empty one. But every time I see it, it's empty. How will I know? Just drop the case in her box. She's quite efficient. Well, all right. But seeing as her box is always empty, I doubt if this case file will get... Done? Already? I told you. Quite efficient. Wouldn't Go to Waste by Sandra Wickham. Narrated by K.T. Brisky and featuring the voice talent of Spencer Haynes. Eighteen fifty eight, Ottawa, Canada. The ministry had sent Cora to Ottawa because she'd grown up in and around timber towns like this one, not to mention she could hold her own on or off the river. For this particular case, she wanted to talk to those with the most to lose, the lumber workers themselves. Best place to find them on a Saturday was the tavern, which is why she'd arranged to meet her ministry contact there. There would be alcohol, rough and troublesome lumbermen, and a strict policy against women in the main room. Which was why Cora headed straight there. The dimly lit bar smelled of cigarettes, alcohol, and clothes perpetually soaked in dirt and sweat. She spotted her contact within seconds of stepping over the threshold. He didn't have the strong build or weathered look of a lumber worker. He was thin, baby-faced, with a clean hat and clothes that weren't threadbare, and he stuck out like, well, like a woman in a bar. Before Cora could approach him, a curly-haired man bumped into her, then glared at her like it had been her fault. Hey, watch it, mister. He was taller than her by several centimeters, but looked younger, 20, maybe. Judging by his accent, He was almost certainly an Irish immigrant. Whether or not he was a holdover from the Shiners Wars between the Catholic Irish and French Canadians, he looked upset. You need me to teach you some manners? 
Cora let her mind play out the simple moves required to take this man down. She smiled and stepped back instead. While that might prove interesting, I'm sorry to say, I don't have the time tonight. The young man blinked several times. You're a woman? Cora looked down in surprise, then cupped her small but firm breasts. What? When did that happen? <sighs> she rolled her eyes and walked towards her contact. It wasn't the first time she'd been mistaken for a man, and it wouldn't be the last. She kept her brown hair short above her ears and almost never wore a corset. It could also have been the trousers or the gun belt snugly holding her pistol. Before she reached her contact, the same young Irishman Cora had had the pleasure of meeting stood on a chair and waved his hands for attention. Anyone seen Frankie Wells? Anyone? The crowd responded with shouts to the negative and a few rude suggestions of where to look. I'm serious. The tremor in his voice made the entire bar settle to a hushed silence. He hasn't been seen for days. It's happening again. Six men now. He pointed his hat at the crowd. Any one of us could be next. Several men coaxed him down and led him to the bar. Cora moved to sit next to her contact and signaled the man behind the bar. Whether or not he knew she was a woman, he brought her the whiskey without so much as a hitch in his step. Cora swung her legs to face her contact directly. Let me guess. Junior agent, sent alone by airship from the ministry because, well, lumber workers going missing in a Canadian town is something to look into, it doesn't quite warrant a fully experienced agent to come all this way. He set his glass down with a sigh. It's true. His accent clearly placed him as a British citizen. I volunteered to come, looking for adventure and what not. Cora flicked a thumb over her shoulder at the rising tide of drunken lumbermen. Is it all you expected? He laughed, then shook his head. No, but that's sort of the point, isn't it? He stuck out his hand. Artie Boyd, pleasure to meet you, Cora Thornton. Her fingerless leather gloves smacked against his bare palm. You too. There's definitely something going on here. Look at these men. They're scared. What do you know? Artie gave a meek smile. Not much, I'm sorry to say. We had reports of men missing. No discernible pattern. The Shiners are probably blaming the Canadians, and vice versa. What about the Lumber Barons? Three or four control pretty much everything in Ottawa right now. Most of these men work for either Henry Fairfax or George Burnett. Cora took in the information as Artie leaned down and reached into the pack by his feet. 
I brought you this from overseas. Cora accepted the wide leather cuff he handed her. Four glass vials filled with white grains and stoppered with ornamented copper caps were held onto it with woven copper wire. That sea salt from four different oceans, I thought for a woman agent. His voice trailed off and he stared at the bar top. It's silly, but salt's useful for many supernatural encounters. He'd meant well, and Cora didn't enjoy watching him squirm. She secured the snaps around her wrist. It's perfect. Artie's face brightened. Really? Absolutely. Two unordered whiskies appeared before them. Cora glanced up and met the barkeep's eyes. He was as muscled as any of the men in the place, looked just as tough, and was quite nice to look at overall. He leaned forward, and Cora discovered one difference. He smelled of soap and laundered clothes. I couldn't help overhearing your conversation. He stuck out his hand, his expression serious. Walter Marion, I own the place. Cora shook his hand. What do you think is going on here? Walter glanced at the nearest patrons. I don't want to rile anyone up. This is my place, after all. But, he paused, if I were someone asking after those men, I'd look at Benjamin Burnett. He gave a conspiratorial nod and drifted towards the other end of the bar. Son of George Burnett. George Burnett is the one who brought this situation to the Ministry's attention. Old connections. Then we have our next stop. It was late to be calling on a lumber baron's household, but the case couldn't wait. Artie put on his pack and pointed to the whiskey Walter had left. I can't drink that. Cora nodded, downed her drink, and handed Artie's to the young Irishman. He needed it more than Artie did. Rumors claimed the timber trade was slowing, but judging by the size of the lumber baron's mansion, Burnett's business wasn't suffering any. A young woman in a long black dress and white apron met them at the door. She gave them a small smile. I'm sorry, we're not taking visitors at this hour. Cora smiled back. You'll want to see us. We're here about the, uh, the cuckoo clock. The young woman's eyes widened for a moment. Then she nodded and led them through a large entrance hall. Artie raised an eyebrow at her. Burnett's code, to get us past the gatekeepers, Cora whispered to the young agent. The young woman paused outside two oak doors. Please, wait here. She disappeared through one of the doors, closing it quickly behind her. Moments later, both doors swung open, a servant at each handle. It was precisely what Cora had expected of a lumber baron's sitting room. 
a large fireplace roared with life, and the walls hosted a mix of hunting trophies and antique lumber tools. George Burnett stood from his fur-covered chair and strode toward Artie, his hand held out. George Burnett? He shook Artie's hand. So glad the Ministry saw fit to send us an agent. He acknowledged Cora for the first time. Shall I give your assistant the notes I've collected? Cora cleared her throat. <clears throat> Actually, sir, Artie is assisting me. I will be conducting this investigation. To his credit, Mr. Burnett recovered quickly. Ah, excellent. Won't you sit down? He gestured to a couch covered in elaborately embroidered cushions. Can I get you something to drink? No, thank you. We're fine. Artie let out a small sigh of relief. George Burnett reclaimed his seat. Something must be done about these men going missing. My business cannot sustain the damage to our reputation. Cora decided to bite her tongue about priorities. Are they all your men? Yes. All from my mills, my raftsmen. He shook a finger at Cora. Henry Fairfax has had it in for me for years. I'd wager my family's fortune he has a hand in this. Cora shared a look with Artie. Could we speak to your son? Benjamin? Why? We need to gather as much information as we can. It was doubtful she'd get to talk to Benjamin without his father present, but at least she could get a feel for him, see if he had anything to hide. When Benjamin Burnett, heir to the Lumber Throne, was finally found, he didn't come alone. A lovely woman hung on his arm, well-dressed and elegantly composed. Benjamin looked shockingly like his father, but without the grey in his dark hair or the weathered wrinkles. Benjamin Burnett? He indicated the young woman on his arm, who bowed her head. This is my wife, Margaret. How may I assist you? Do you know anything of these missing men? Benjamin shook his head. I'm sorry. I wish I could help. Cora sat up straighter. It wasn't the answer so much as the way he gave it. There were no signs of dishonesty. In fact, he seemed genuinely disturbed. There are people who'd like to see me fall, he went on, just as much as they'd enjoy seeing it happen to my father. I assure you, I have nothing to do with this. I have everything to gain from my father's success. He waved at the luxurious sitting room to seal his point. Cora pulled Artie to his feet and bid the Burnets good night. Outside the mansion, Cora checked her pocket watch. Still time to pay a visit to the Fairfax mansion? Artie groaned, but nodded. Uh, we may as well. The night was warm, and it was a quiet walk to the Fairfax estate. Whereas the Burnett mansion was large, but subtle, the Fairfax mansion screamed for everyone to notice it. 
A rubble stone foundation rose to wood shingles on the second story, and a domed turret on one corner. They didn't make it to the door before it opened. A well-dressed male servant smiled down on them as they climbed the steps to the covered entranceway. Mr. Fairfax has been expecting you. He ushered them inside. Inside proved even more elaborate than out, with sculptures and expensive paintings on every wall. Their escort led them to a sitting room, complete with piano, a wall of books, and Mr. Fairfax himself, his hands clasped behind his back. He appeared the same age as George Burnett, but where Burnett could blend in with the lumber workers, Henry Fairfax was tall, thin, and gave the impression he hadn't slept well in a long time. He looked as though he'd be more comfortable at a desk than in the forest. Cora Thornton, I presume, he said with a self-satisfied nod. Cora noted he came directly to her, to emphasize the fact he had eyes and ears everywhere. Mr. Fairfax turned to Artie. And you must be Arthur. I hope our little town has been hospitable. You seem to be keeping an eye on us, Cora cut in. I suppose you know why we're here, then. What do you know of Mr. Burnett's missing men? Not wasting time on pleasantries, I see. I like that. You're here because of my rivalry with George Burnett, which goes back a dozen years. He indicated his lush parlor. And yet... I always come out on top. I've no reason to sabotage him. I had nothing to do with those missing men. For all our sakes, I hope you solve this soon. Cora cursed inwardly, because she believed him. It seemed they'd found another dead end. What about the rumors of how the men are disappearing? Mr. Fairfax gave a small chuckle. <laughs> you mean the water spirits stealing them away? <laughs> Superstitious nonsense. Once outside, Cora took a deep, cleansing breath, then turned to Artie. Since we're already going in circles, what do you say we head back to the bar? She laughed when Artie rolled his eyes. It wasn't merely about getting another whiskey into Artie for amusement. Another few rounds might have loosened the lumbermen's tongues. The crowd had thinned, but Die Hard still sat over mugs of beer and dark glasses of gut rot. Leaving Artie to order their whiskey, she spotted the young Irishman, still in his cups. He signaled to her with a tilt of his head, then shoved the chair out across from him with a long stretch of his leg. Maybe we can help each other. She pulled the chair back up to the table. You want to talk about the missing men? He leaned forward. 
too many mates been disappearing. I don't want to be next. If you're here looking into this, which I think you are, I want to help. I'm Sean, by the way. Cora, tell me about these water sprites. He pulled at his stout, gazed into the distance. Lots of stories. They're meant to keep to themselves. Only poke their noses in when someone, a female someone, calls them to protect the land. With the trees being cut and all, maybe it was easy to do. Cora leaned back. Someone conjured them. Sent them after the men. I think I know who it was. Who? Someone who wanted to see the Burnets driven out of Ottawa. Did you meet Benjamin Burnett's wife on your trek out tonight? Cora nodded. Know her maiden name? No idea. Fairfax. As in Henry Fairfax. I thought those families hated each other. Sean waved a hand through the air. The old patriarchs, sure. But they put on a friendly show to the public years back. For the children's sake. But I heard Margaret's got a lover on the side. Really? Why do I have a feeling you know who it is? Sure do. He nodded towards the bar. It's Walter. Told me himself. Cora took in the tavern keeper with new eyes. He was ruggedly handsome, but couldn't compete financially with Benjamin Burnett. If Margaret had fallen in love with him, it would make sense she'd see to it her family had more than enough money for them both. Was it possible this wasn't about rival lumber barons, but rather rival suitors? Had Walter accused Benjamin in hopes he'd go down for it, or was it to distract her from finding out the real person responsible? His lover, Margaret. I guess it's too late to talk to her tonight. How would one call up these water spirits? The way I heard? It's ruins. Carved into the trees. Cora tapped her feet under the table. I wonder if it'd be worth taking a look at the trees. Can you show us where the Burnett lands are? Artie joined them and set down two whiskies. Sean nodded. Better. I can show you the area Frankie went missing from. Artie turned to her. Look for what? Might be worth a shot. I'm game. Look for what? Artie repeated as Cora and Sean got to their feet. Cora slammed back her whiskey, then slammed her glass back on the table. Runes on trees in the forest. What? Artie's voice trailed behind them as they headed for the door. In the middle of the night? Do you really think that wise? Cora didn't wait to see if he followed. Once outside, the cool summer air refreshed her mind and her energy. The bar doors flew open and Artie came running out. Wait! I'm coming. Are you sure? He tipped his hat to her. Adventure and all that. Right? <laughs> right.
a sky full of stars and a half moon illuminated their way. But Cora still had Sean borrow two lanterns from a local farmer. It took an hour to get to the spot where Frankie went missing, another thirty minutes searching through the trees until Cora spotted scratches in the trunk of a tree. Here, she called out. As Artie stomped and cursed his way over, Sean appeared next to her and touched the rune. It is real. He wandered to another tree. Look, more. Cora scouted the nearby trees. Here, too. Artie stood in a small clearing. They create a circle. Look. He spun as he pointed at each marked tree. Sean gave a long whistle. Circle of ruins? That'll send shivers down your spine. Cora was about to agree, but something moved in the woods. She held up her hand for silence. There, the rustling of foliage. Cora peered into the darkness. The snap of a branch. Closer this time. Is it? The spirits? Artie's voice was shaky. Cora pressed a finger to her lips. Her pulse beat in her ears, impinging on her efforts to hear more. Lanterns out, she hissed. They were like great beacons alerting the enemy. Sean's went out quickly, but Artie fumbled with his. Give it here, Sean finally said. As he reached for it, another sound cut through the night. That was no water spirit. Get down! Cora yelled as she flung herself to the dirt. Shots blasted into the stillness of the trees. Bark flew and leaves exploded. There was another shot. A cry. Ow! And then Artie hit the ground. Rolling onto her stomach, Cora fired in the shooter's direction. It wasn't totally for naught. Whoever it was crashed through the forest away from them. She pushed to her knees and picked up Artie's overturned lantern while Sean stamped out the small fire it had started. Artie wasn't moving, shot somewhere in his midsection. There was too much blood to see exactly where. He was unconscious, but still breathing. Cora rolled Artie enough to free him from his pack. Trembling, she fished out the standard-issue square bandage and wrap. She found the wound, ignoring the voices in her head telling her it was useless, and wrapped the bandage around Artie's midsection to hold pressure on it. She put on his pack and got her hands under his shoulders, trying to overlook the paleness of his face. He needs help. Now. By the time they got Artie into town, Cora struggled to hear his labored breaths. The local doctor opened his door grumbling about the hour, but then snapped into action when he saw Artie's limp, bloody body. Come in! He had them lay Artie down on the couch. Cora paced the hallway until the doctor came out, his head low. Cora didn't need him to tell her. 
for Artie, the adventure was over. He'd been her responsibility. Miss Thornton, is it? Miss Thornton, yes. Uh, the doctor's soothing words passed over her in a fog. Something about taking care of Artie until arrangements could be made. Cora could only think how she'd have to get his body home by airship as soon as possible. Overcome, Cora stumbled outside. She stared up at the stars and cursed until Sean touched her on the shoulder. Are you well there? She looked deep into his eyes. What did she know about him? Nothing, except he'd been looking for a lost friend. It was his story about the water spirits that had taken them out there. Maybe he was behind all of it. She grabbed a fistful of his jacket. You a shiner? Got something against Canadians? Was that shot meant for me? Sean pulled away. It weren't me. I've been trying to help. She nodded, throat too thick for words. Sean let out a sigh. I don't suppose water spirits carry guns. She shook her head, appreciating his efforts. She doubted the water spirits carried guns, but what about Margaret? Cora knew many lovely ladies who could dance through high social events and still shoot the cap off a drunken suitor. Either someone wants us to think it was water spirits, Cora said, or someone doesn't want us to know the truth. I really want to talk to Margaret Burnett. Sean's eyes widened. Hold up! Even I know you can't barge in on someone before the sun's up and accuse them of things you got no proof of. He was right. All she had were rumors and a dead junior agent. She needed more information. How do you know about the water spirits? Walter told me. He's got friends from all over. Tell him all sorts of legends. Cora crossed her arms. And you got him to tell you what he knows. Sean shrugged and gave her a boyish grin. I like people. They like me. That, and I sit at the bar and buy whiskey. A lot of whiskey. But we figured if anyone knew about strange goings on, it'd be him. Quite the investigator, aren't you? Maybe I should introduce you to my boss at the ministry. A pang of guilt-ridden grief shot through her as Artie's young face popped into her mind. Or maybe not. Still, Sean's chest puffed up and his face lit with pride. It's too late to talk to Margaret. How's nine o'clock? She was about to tell him no, that she'd handle it on her own, but his eagerness won her over. Fine. But after tonight, if you've got the means to arm yourself, I suggest you do so. After a night plagued by visions of Artie, Cora felt far from rested. Sean was punctual to the minute, his enthusiasm grating. Top of the morning? 
he gave a small bow. Cora waved him off, and they walked to the Burnett mansion. The same young woman answered the door with a broad smile on her face. Good morning! Won't you come in? Mr. Burnett is eager to hear of your progress. Cora shoved Sean forward. Fabulous. Sean will oblige. While the men discuss things, do you mind if I visit with Benjamin's wife? Sean threw her a confused look, but she kept a smile aimed towards the servant. Of course, she said with a slight bow. Let me show you. Thank you. I'll catch up to you soon, she said to Sean, who gave her another desperate look. She knew he'd be fine. It would give her the time she needed to talk to Margaret. The woman led Cora to a small music room. Margaret Burnett sat not at the piano, but in a chair next to the window. She held a thin book. She looked up as Cora approached. May I help you? Margaret set the book on her lap. Cora got the same impression of Margaret as before. High class, used to money, and perfectly happy in her surroundings. She must really love Walter to chance leaving this behind. What are you reading? Cora moved closer, pretending to look at the book's cover. A history of Baroque music. It's quite fascinating. Cora smiled. My reading tastes lean more toward the fantastical. Myths, legends, that sort of thing. Ever read any of those? Margaret didn't flinch. They are not quite to my tastes, I'm afraid. Shame about those men going missing, Cora said. It must be affecting your husband and father-in-law in a most unpleasant way. Most unfortunate. Is your investigation progressing well? Was that concern genuine or fake? Yes, I, I think we're close. Cora studied Margaret's face but the woman held herself steady. We found some runes on a circle of trees. We're going to start by cutting those down. At that, Margaret's body tensed, though her face showed no signs of distress. Excuse me, a voice said from behind. Cora turned to see the young servant. Your friend asked me to find you. It seems he's done with his report to Mr. Burnett. Of course. Cora bowed to Margaret. Sorry to interrupt, madam. Have a pleasant day. Cora waited until they were outside to turn to Sean. He looked sweaty and pale. He turned on her with wide eyes. How could you do that to me? That was my boss. How did you handle it? Quite well, I think. He didn't shoot me. I knew it. You said it yourself. People like you. What did you find out? Margaret's hiding something, all right. Subtle ink stains on the fingers of her right hand from hours of writing. Also calluses on both hands from hard labor. Not normal for a woman of her position. Smarter than she lets on, too. Sean threw his hands up. Now what? We watch. We follow. If she's controlling the water spirits with those runes, I've just given her incentive to want to speed things up.
and Sean staked out the back of the Burnett mansion. After hours of listening to Sean complain about how hungry he was, Margaret's face appeared out the back door. Lit by the setting sun, she looked around, then stepped outside and took a path toward the forest. Quietly, Cora whispered. To be sure, I know these woods. If she's heading to the ruins, I can get us there before her. Cora nodded. Lead the way. The sun sank low as they moved through the woods. Once at the ruins, they ducked behind a large tree, where they could see, but not be seen. Several minutes later, Margaret slipped by them, looking around like she expected to see someone, or something, there. Cora didn't see the newcomer until he sauntered right into the clearing. Walter. He carried a pistol in one hand, and Cora forced herself to stay where she was. Margaret didn't look like a woman meeting her lover. She looked furious. Her fists clenched the sides of her dress. Tell me what is going on. Cora kept an eye on the gun while Walter held out his other hand. I didn't want you to find out this way, but I love you. I always have, Maggie. You'll see it when the Burnettes are gone. Even in the dimming light, the fury on Margaret's face shone clear. You tricked me. Walter took a step forward. I only wanted to be with you. You told me this would save my father, and I believed you. I thought his health was improving. But instead, you've been using the creatures to take those men. Bastard lied to me. They weren't having an affair. Cora nodded, her mind racing. Only a woman could summon the sprites, but apparently she didn't need to know why she was calling them. Cora felt a squeeze on her arm and looked to where Sean pointed. Two creatures, about three feet tall, blended into the edge of the clearing opposite them. Coarse, dark hair covered their bodies, broken only by moth-like wings. Their eyes glowed green, and their teeth looked like they could rip through bark. The creatures sniffed the air, and Cora held her breath as they pointed their noses in her direction. They took to the air in a blur of wings crashed through the trees and grabbed Sean by one arm and one leg. No amount of flailing by Sean, or pulling from Cora, stopped them from lifting him up, limbs dangling a few feet off the ground. Cora jumped into the clearing. Listen to me! She yelled at them. You're not accomplishing anything! Take this batch of lumbermen, more will come to replace them! She had their attention, even if they hadn't released Sean yet. Cora sidestepped, keeping her eyes on the creatures and Sean until she was next to Margaret. Don't let them take Sean. How do we get rid of them? Margaret shot a look at Walter. He never told me that. Artie's face flashed before Cora's eyes 
and it gave her extra strength. She hit Walter's wrist with a crescent kick that sent his pistol flying, then followed up with a sweep of his leg. He hit the ground and didn't have time to cry out before Cora was on top of him, her forearm pressed across his neck. Tell me now. Before you go thinking I won't kill you, let me assure you, you can be nothing but a whisper by morning. Tell her. Margaret's voice came from over Cora's shoulder, and she saw the change in Walter's eyes. Banish them. His words squeaked out. Not you, Maggie. Because you called them. Fine, Cora snapped. Me, then. What do I do? The same incantation that brought them here. But backwards. Cora locked eyes with Margaret, who nodded, then closed her eyes. She spoke slowly, enunciating each word, and Cora echoed her, forearm still pressed into Walter's throat. The creatures dropped Sean, and he landed with a grunt as they turned on Cora. She kept her voice strong as she echoed Margaret. After about a dozen words, Margaret opened her eyes. That's it. Then why are they still here, and why do they look like they're about to attack me? Margaret didn't have time to answer as the two sprites flew at Cora. She ducked and rolled off Walter and got to her feet. Walter got up and brushed himself off. Sorry. Didn't I mention, if you attempt to banish them, they'll kill you. No time for fury. She was too busy running and dodging between trees to avoid the two creatures that flew after her. Margaret put herself between Cora and the creatures. No! Walter screamed and lunged at Margaret, but Sean rushed the barkeep, knocking him to the ground. The creatures seemed confused as to whom to attack. Their glowing eyes fixated on Margaret. Cora knew she had only seconds. Charging in front of Margaret, she pulled back her sleeve and grabbed the vials off Artie's bracelet. Not only were these supernatural beings, they were forest and freshwater creatures. If anything had an aversion to salt, it would be them. She threw the vials in rapid succession. She couldn't tell how many found their mark but glass shattered and coated the creatures with ocean salt. Cora repeated the backwards incantation, Margaret prompting her when she needed it. The air around them seemed to expel completely, then came back in a rush as the two creatures vanished from sight. Sean had Walter against a tree, a gun pointed at the barkeeper's temple. It was over. Even after the local constabulary had taken Walter away, Margaret lingered. I understand, Cora told her. You were doing it for your father. Margaret's eyes teared. He's very ill. I've been running the business, 
pitching in at the mills and hiding it all from my husband. We'd run out of hope. Walter said if I summoned the creatures, they'd help. Only they didn't. When you came to talk to me, I knew something was wrong. I sent Walter a message to meet me in the clearing. She met Cora's gaze with steady eyes. I'm truly sorry. I know. But we've stopped them from hurting anyone else. Cora's reassurances fell flat. Six men vanished, and Artie dead, all for one man's foolish desires. Margaret would live with that forever, just as Cora would live with Artie's death. Suppose you'll be going home now. Sean bounced up to Cora like he hadn't been nearly abducted by angry spirits. Can you tell me about this ministry of yours? Think maybe they've room for one more? Cora clapped an arm around his shoulder. How about you buy me a whiskey and I'll see if I can talk you out of it? He looked so disappointed she punched him with her free hand. Oh, come on. I couldn't think of a better candidate. The Ministry would be lucky to have you. His face lit up. That would be fantastic. Let's get that drink. For Artie. She couldn't share his levity. Not yet. She touched the leather bracelet around her arm and nodded. For Artie. Sandra Wickham is a veteran of fitness competitions for 10 years, both as a competitor and trainer, coaching over 150 athletes to the stage. She offers programs designed for anyone looking to improve their level of health and fitness. While studying for her black belt in martial arts, Sandra has turned to writing as her next pursuit. Her short stories have appeared in Evolve, Vampires of the New Undead, Evolve, Vampires of the Future Undead, Chronicles of the Order, Cross Genres Magazine, Locothology, and the Urban Green Man. She blogs about writing with the Ink Punks, is the fitness nerd columnist for the Functional Nerds, and slush reads for Lightspeed Magazine. Wooden Go to Waste is her first foray into steampunk. Theme music composed and performed by Alex White. Find out more at thegearheart.com. For more from the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, visit ministryofpeculiaroccurrences.com to order Dawn's Early Light, now available everywhere in your favorite bookstores and online in print and digital formats. This podcast is protected by the Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, share-alike 3.0 license. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Tales from the Archives. And imagine that studios, Ace Books production. I'm T. Morris. And I'm Philippa Ballantyne. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening. listening.